You're listening to Comedy Central. They've been having a lot of fun backstage, so hopefully they will have as much fun here with you. Um, Desi, I would love to start with you because we all watch this and you make it seem easy, but there's nothing easy about what you produce each night. So when we watch one of those field pieces, how does it go from concept to execution? Um, well, one of the cool things about The Daily Show that a lot of people don't know is that Anyone who works at the show can pitch an idea. So anybody who works there, whether you're a writer, a producer, a correspondent, um, it can start with an intern. Maybe an, an intern you know, pitches an idea that takes off and is great. So uh, usually a field producer or the head of the field department will pick up on an idea um, and appoint a producer and a correspondent. And we spend time uh, thinking about like what the comedic take is, is it something that's like a, an issue that seems to matter to people? Um, and we start the pre-production process. Um, and then we take it to Trevor. And Trevor either approves it or doesn't approve it. Um, and, uh, and then we hopefully go out. It can, it can be a long process. It can sometimes take a week or so. Or sometimes we are coming up with something and going out and shooting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for the show that night, um, which has happened. So this question just goes to anybody who wants to take it, which is, what's one idea that you have pitched maybe multiple times and you just can't get on the air? Falling school. Cam camels. Like Falling school. Camels. There's a guy that will teach you how to fall. <laughs> and it's meant for the elderly. What? That's why you look at them. Because they get injured when they fall. Everyone can get injured when they fall, not just the elderly, but you understand my point. So I want to go do a field piece where I learn how to fall because every senator is like 165 years old right now. So we got to teach America how to fall. You're laughing. That should be enough to get it approved. He has been trying to drive this thing home yeah. ever since he started the job. Yeah. What? I mean, you just learned how to stand, so now you right. want to learn how to fall. <laughs> camels, 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 camels. Camels do know how to but fall. But you're, you're not telling the whole. Tell the whole. It's story. Australia. I've been, I've been pitching camels since I joined the show. Never gets approved. Uh, what about camels, Ronnie? Australia <laughs> has the largest population of feral camels on the planet. They Did y'all know that was a thing? They had no. They had the largest population of feral no. camels. Uh, what? No, 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 I no. thought this was and a this is why it's not a piece. No, <laughs> no, no. They still do. Everything else died. See the how I set him survived. up? You see yeah. how I set him up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the camels survived because they're perfectly adapted to the desert, and nobody wants to talk about this, except for me. And just running around the middle of Australia, just just messing shit up. What's in the middle of Australia to mess up? Like nothing much, really, to be honest. But but uh, the government sent guys in helicopters to shoot them down ten years ago, and they did it. Uh, and and they ran out of funding to do it. And the camel population increases exponentially every five years, and it's going to overrun the country. And no one wants to talk about this, except for me. <laughs> I think what happens in the field department is that a lot of stories that we pitch that are good and are addressing a real issue, the bigger question in the building becomes, how does this attach itself to the national conversation about that issue? And more often than not, a lot of the better field pieces we do are an extension of something that Trevor has already talked about at the desk or something that would have worked at the desk, but it's such a deeper issue 
that we go out and actually try and figure out what's going on with that issue. So unfortunately, there aren't enough people in America already talking about falling or camels. <laughs> Do we have enough Yet. young people in politics? No. Why? Everyone's old as shit. <laughs> so let them fall. That's all I got. That's all I got. Right That's all. You bring up though a good point, which is how how Camels. do you avoid how do you avoid following the bouncing ball? Like how do you come back to what matters, to what matters to your audience, and making sure that you're focusing on that and not just doing recitations of the president's Twitter feed? We do that too. Um, <laughs> I think it's if you just actually care about the thing that you're talking about, then I think people will identify with that no matter what it is. Because if you genuinely care, then someone else is going to care at some point. And we are all different people so if you pursue what you're passionate about or what you're interested in it's going to be much different i don't give a fuck about camels okay but ronnie loves camels yeah awesome. <laughs> i don't give a fuck about old people <laughs> but michael loves old people falling so there was a moment in one of your pieces where I couldn't tell whether or not the subject was sort of bought in and understood what was happening. Um, it was a piece you did about Arizona and about how temperatures are rising in Arizona. And you keep sort of repeating Nelly lyrics. You say, Nelly tried to tell us this. And then you keep saying, it's, it's getting hot in here. And, and the person's just like, oh, okay, like it's hot. But then there, there's a later part of the piece where you're walking down the hallway with the expert and you have no pants on. So I'm assuming that he knew that was coming. Yeah, he asked actually. It was his request. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think uh, Brian was really cool. Um, he was pretty game for it. I think people know The Daily Show like institutions, so a lot of people are ready to play, and it can actually be hard to catch people off guard sometimes because they go into it thinking a certain way. So um, with that, it's either like you have to play it like really quiet and subtle, or you just have to like lean into it and see how far you can poke them for them to like break this like steely reserve that they have set up. Or they're so ready to play a game that you're not playing. <laughs> yeah. That happens too. So I was interviewing someone for the chipped piece and he kept making these jokes and I was just like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> they were like true like dad jokes. But then I also think he'd never talked to a black person before, especially a black woman. So I'm like, we're going through the takes and like he would be having a conversation or like he would like, he would get the, he wouldn't he would want to redo the take which is fine, because we're taping something. He's like, well, let's just go back, because we just need to run through this again. And he was like, okay, don't hit me. And I was like, who the heck, what is happening? But he was always like, don't get mad at me, don't hit me, don't hit me. And I was like, sir, what do you think is gonna happen today? I think a lot of what happens in our field pieces is it's just a conversation. And we can be talking to someone that has a position that we may find to be incredulous, but to them, this is their reality, this is what's real. And I think through that basic, like we did a piece at the University of Texas where they've outlawed sex toys, but they're allowing concealed carry on campus. And so we spoke with a pro-gun advocate who's anti-sex toys, and he was adamant about why sex toys are worse than guns. And that's just a real conversation. And that within that is the humor. So a lot of the times you don't have to try. You just talk. Sad, sad man. <laughs> or sad wife of that man. I don't know. <laughs> Ronnie, there was a piece that you did with Andrew Yang. What, 
Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's okay. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, sorry, I, was just, I was thinking about some field pieces and camels. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> camels. Yeah. Um, and you know, you sort of start out with this premise where you're like, "Well, you're Asian, so I'm going to vote for you." That is the entire premise of my vote. Yeah. Um, and he really wanted to pull it back to universal basic income. Like yeah. he was going to get that point in. Yeah. Regardless, what kind of response did you get from the Yang Gang on that piece? Uh, oh, you mean the, the? I honestly, I don't know. I, I swear to God, I'm not trying to. I don't know what the response was from them. I, I didn't follow. Well, yeah. Did they like it? Yeah, it was cool. Okay, was great. Cool. They rock with you. Do you all check your social media? Are you sensitive to the feedback loop on your pieces? Jabuki, do you want to answer that? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, Jabuki uh, is Twitter jail. Bend <laughs> it on Twitter. Um, I, there are certain things that will like slip through the cracks, and like I'll see it. I think when I first started, I was definitely like in every comment section, like he doesn't know what he's talking about, but like so hurt on the inside. <laughs> um, but at a certain point, I was like, it's done. Nothing you say is going to change what the piece looks like. So like, why should I care what you think? Well, <laughs> like, sometimes know. it catches you off guard because like I just did this desk piece talking about like, listen, if you're sick, please don't go to work. That's, That's awesome. all I was saying. And people started losing their minds. And it was just like, you have the luxury of not going to work. And this girl just went off on me. And I was like, ma'am, I've done stand up with the flu. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, what? What point did we prove now? Wait, hang on. So what did you hear yeah, about? Yeah, what did the you hear? People talking? Yeah. Did they say something they loved about it. us? They loved Nothing. it. Nothing. loved great. it? Okay, good. Sure. Yeah. 2011, you probably remember this, there was an academic study that looked at the Colbert Report and whether people's political ideologies affected the way that they perceived it. And I took this directly from there. Conservatives were more likely to report that Colbert only pretends to be joking. <laughs> Has anyone ever confused your persona with who you actually are in real life? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've confused it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, when, sometimes you're writing or creating an outlandish opinion, and then you get kind of buried in it, and you're working with other people, and all of a sudden you're like, "Well, we're kind of making a decent point," but oh no. Uh, I get people that come up to my stand-up shows sometimes and are angry that I'm not a dumb buffoon guy that they that we sometimes <laughs> that I love playing on the show. Uh, but smart. hey, they bought a ticket to the show, so fuck them, you know? <laughs> Cost is very smart. Cost is very smart. Thank you. I just want to, because when he says you don't believe him, that's why I said it, because y'all believe black women, that's why Oprah's a millionaire. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, billionaire, sorry. But yeah, Cost is smart. So. I don't think there's a lot of conflation, at least not for me. Um, I think that the thing that Trevor has done with The Daily Show, with his iteration of The Daily Show, is that I think it's a little more closer to the punditry that it's a little bit more closer to reflecting the punditry that's on television now. Whereas under the John Stewart regime, I believe early on, it was a lot more reporter driven. So there was something that was a lot more, there was something more there to parody. Whereas now we're just plain heightened caffeinated versions of ourselves. So for me, I don't, I'm not that much different. I'd yell a little less in real life, but everything else pretty much holds true. 
I think the fun the fun part is doing a field piece and interviewing someone who m might not be of the same belief that you actually agree with, but you're sort of ironically agreeing with them. And people always say, like, how do you get away with doing that? Or how do you get away with confronting them or pointing out the hypocrisy? But like they're so entrenched in their belief that it doesn't occur to them that you don't agree with them. They're, I, I interviewed a guy who wanted to split California into two, make half of it, the, the inland part of California Republican, and then the coastal part Democrat, and it was so outlandish and silly, and then halfway through the interview, I was like, I agree with this guy. Like, I, he, he switched me. There was a piece, I don't know if y'all saw, I think there was a, a little clip of it that Roy did where you were looking at uh, the black vote and you had a focus group um, I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll take this one. <laughs> and what was what was so fascinating to me is that there were there was just a lot of truth in that piece. I mean, they really did speak to a spectrum of views and values. And as funny as it was, it also could have appeared on a news organization. Yeah, and I think that's the goal is to find comedy in the realistic moments. That's why. It, which goes back to just what I said before. It's just, let's just have a conversation and let's see what comes up in that conversation. And more often than not, you're going to get something that's good. And of course, we already know if you put a black Trump supporter in a room with other black voters who skew Democrat, you're gonna get some action. <laughs> yeah. So you just figure out where that stuff is going to come from within the conversation. And it just surfaced up and it was great. Right, because what was sort of amazing about that is it didn't, devolve into attacks or into, I mean, they were really pushing back on the substance. Yeah, because we weren't trying to create some room where just people just yell. Like, we weren't trying to create Facebook comments in real life. Like, let's have a serious structured conversation about the candidates and tell us why you do not like this particular person and why you think this particular person and have the argument based strictly on policies and what your needs are as a constituent and not based on, well, he makes me angry, so I'm gonna just fight you because I don't like him because that one time on TV, it was none, it was none of that. It also was good because it showed America that black people are an intelligent voting base. Because a lot of times they think like, all right, we had a pork chop, they'll vote for me. I'm like, no, that's not, <laughs> you walk into a beauty salon and we're automatically gonna vote for you. That's not how, it's like, because it just seems like a lot of times when as a black voter and seeing how politicians interact with not just black voters, but black and Latino voters, it's very much like, I ate the pork chop, I ate the taco, let's go. What's happening? What else do I have to do for you people? I said five words of Spanish. I get it. Let's go. On delay. Vote for me. Like that. And so I love that piece because it was just like, oh, all of America gets to see why this is an important voting base just as anyone else, not just automatically. We're automatically going to do this. And then the black Trump supporter being there was also good because it was like, oh, we don't all automatically vote Democrat. So it got to show that black people aren't this monolith Wait, in what? reference to just, <laughs> did you just say that's what monolith meant? <laughs> no. How then do you play on stereotype without falling into it? So that piece, Roy, begins with you doing like a very serious open about the black vote and then sprinting across the street to go to Waffle House. Yes. That's uh, delicious. <laughs> Ronnie, you have, you have a piece, um, oh, no. it was you um, doing like an, an Asian uh, 
alternative debate when Andrew Yang didn't make it into one of the debates. You've really relied heavily on Andrew Yang this season. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, someone's got it, right? If I don't talk about him, who the hell's going to talk about him? But you, um, I don't talk to him. What a moment in time that was, by the way, that we had an Asian person running for president and an Asian person on a TV show able to speak about it. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but... No, no, no. Okay, but then you took the opportunity. I think your sort of first policy question was about Panda Express. Okay, look. <laughs> okay. Listen, That's there's some the issues comedy. which I don't expect you to understand, okay? <laughs> and it's what was amazing is that the entire premise was Ronnie being like, you need to close Panda Express. And then Andrew <laughs> Yang was like, I, I love Panda Express. <laughs> so how do you do, so where, how do you play with that? Where do you see the line between, between you know, getting the joke but then not over-relying on it or, or making Wait, that you, the totality I, I of mean, it. I mean, it's a comedy show first. So if you're coming to me expecting me to give a... Well, I'm not doing a propaganda piece. I'm doing a comedy piece. I'm not going to give you five minutes on TV to say whatever you want. I'm here to make jokes about it. So I'm doing a little bit of propaganda. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I'm here to make jokes about the thing. If you're looking for serious analysis, go to his blog or go to whatever the current, the non-biased news is right now. New, new but also, but you, I didn't watch the, the, the piece. I don't, I don't watch Ronnie's pieces, but I, I know <laughs> you probably had a couple <laughs> cheap jokes in there. and You probably had a couple of really smart jokes in there too. No, I, I, I cheap, speak yeah. on behalf of everybody. <laughs> You, you know, when you're in the Edit Bay, you keep a couple silly ones in there because they're super silly and fun, Panda Express jokes, and you also try to make more profound ones as well. And I think that that moment between Ronnie and Yang, I just think it's, it's, it's a small moment, but I think it's, it highlights a bigger advantage that our show has over a lot of other shows that are in the satirical news space right now, which are is Are you that. winking at your PR person? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. That we're able to do things from a space... Most diverse Can, can you just slow... It's, it's late, Ronnie. Go can ahead. you just slow the prompter down so we can read it, please? <laughs> I'm being for real. I'm messing with you. I know. That See, fuck it, then. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of different people. We got more different people than the other shows. So we get to talk about stuff okay. from the perspective. That way it's honored and it's no, handled. No, no, it is true. It's true. It is true. It is true. Tell me. You have black, you have white, you have Asian, you have white again. <laughs> I don't know what race Jabuki is. I don't know. Yeah, we have that. Millennial. Yeah. We age. We have young people. We have, we have old people. We got. <laughs> you point at me and say age? Yeah. Anyway. Oh, my God. But truthfully, I mean, that's new a, people on this stage that are older than me. That are yes, men. hello. But but honestly, tell me another eight. Wh who? Are, which are TV shows? An Asian person, period. Much as the Asian person who can talk to Andrew Yang. Nick. SNL. Do you say SNL? Bowen Yang. Okay, fuck SNL. Bowen Yang. Right. Bowen Yang. One show. One Shout out to Bowen Yang. That's different. Though. But if you're wondering what it's like for us to be in a meeting, yo, whose team are you on? It's. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, no, I'm talking, to, um, I'm talking to What I'm saying is that it's, if you're wondering what it's like for us to be, it's this. It's us, Roy trying to make a point, Costa saying something unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one that has a wireless microphone at the meetings, though. It's very <laughs> odd. The whole building can hear him. It's great. But through this whole process, it's because when we have those field meetings, it's we all pitch to each other, and if no one, because it does seem like that the the ideas that some that we can riff off of in the room, 
are kind of the ideas that seem to get pushed because it's everyone going, oh, and we could do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, because it's all collaborative, because when a piece is pitched, they don't always have a specific correspondent in mind. Sometimes it's, okay, here's the idea, and let's see who would be best fit to, pr to produce the piece. I think the most important thing that contributes to creating comedy in the Daily Show environment is that no one is sensitive when they hear no. So you may pitch something. One of the things that I love the most about the show is that a lot of pitching happens over email because the show is moving so much during the day. There's only so many meetings you can have. So you can pitch over email and no one just re won't reply to your email. <laughs> you go, All right, guess that one's not getting made. But there's no hard feelings in the meeting to what Dulce is saying, that you could go, hey, let's do this. Eh, that doesn't really have any teeth. Let's do something in this regard. And no one's all sensitive because it keeps you pitching. Like you yeah. may pitch an idea, get struck down, you come back the next day with something else. Yeah, it's a very collaborative environment. Every, everyone wants the same thing. Can I get I, a raise I'm pretty please? sure that camels. the email address that I got for pitch is the wrong one because... <laughs> Man, do I send some sweet ideas over there, and I have never heard a response I never one time. You guess falling? All right, yeah, that <laughs> one. Was. Roy, you said um, something in an interview uh, where you said the the most difficult thing for you is, and I quote, "When the South does something stupid." Oh, uh, you explain? <laughs> yeah, because I'm fr I'm from Alabama, and I'm from Georgia, and so thank you so much. It's. <laughs> It's the assumption that everyone in the South is the South that makes the news. So the burden of carrying that onto television when Jeff Sessions says something stupid or when Roy Moore does something stupid or there's a stupid law that's trying to get passed or there's voter suppression or gerrymandering and the idea that it's something that I definitely am proud of because there are a lot of people in the South that are trying to make a difference. And you know, Dulce is, you know, we pitched stuff with uh, Stacey Abrams and trying to show that there's something that matters and there's people there who care about that stuff. And to be in a building where people will actually listen and hear you out and not just make dumb Alabama toothless jokes is important to me. And then the other thing with Stacey Abrams, because people were like, it's so amazing. It's like, how could, you know, a black woman be elected governor in, you know, a state in the South? And I was like, but people forget that 60% of the black population in America lives in former slave states. So the place that a black woman would get elected is a place where a bunch of black people live. <laughs> the numbers just make sense. And there's all of these times. And then the other thing, because you're talking about the thing that you know we're wanting to pitch, we can't figure out how to pitch. It's that I would love to pitch about how America thinks that racism only exists in 13 states. And that the rest of the country is, ah, ha, ha, everything was great, no. The most segregated city in the country, Chicago. That's not the South. Okay, whoa, 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 chill, chill, chill. Um, chill, 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 chill on what? You're from chill, there. Tell chill, me. Chill, chill. Am You're I wrong? Right. Thank right. you so much. You're Thank right. you so much. Yeah, yeah. So right. we're uh, a big happy family. True, 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 true. Really well. Me and Jabuki fist fight constantly to All keep our friendship strong. Right. Um, and our bones. It's just good for the body. It's how I work out. Um, does it but, help that our offices have doors some days? It does help. Yeah, yes. some days. <laughs> But yeah, there's those, there's those times where it's just like, that's the hardest part, because anytime something stupid in the South happens, Royal text me and go, damn it! And I'm just like, ah, we didn't need this again. No. Iowa, do something. In that, in, that, in that same interview, Roy, you said something that I think is actually pretty resonant in, 
in the news as well, which is that you that you try to make the joke about the idea and not about the person behind the idea. And I wonder how you sort of focus yourself and actually make, like, stay true to that. The people making bad decisions will always change. The conditions will remain. So that's what I would rather focus on. And so that's what we try to focus, even with the desk chats. Like, it's not this person is the reason this thing. It's no, why is this issue an issue? And here are people that could change it. And those are the people whose feet we may hold to the fire on that issue. But like, it would have been very easy. Casa did, how many Great Lakes pieces have you done? Like, 12? I mean, that's all I would do if I could, but I've done two or three. Yeah. So he's a, he's a big environmental guy. Costa really cares about the environment. So the issue is more about what's happening here. And Care about what you could, guys. And what could, and what could change and how that change could come about. And it's not always about going after the person because then you get the person, you get them out of office, yeah, we did it, he's not in anymore. It's people still starving, it's people still poor, it's still people that need solutions. So sometimes it's better to have a piece or segment that's solution oriented versus just attacking someone that's responsible for the condition. Ronnie, is there a line for you? Are there lines, are there parameters you try to stay within? Lines? Hmm? Yeah. Oof. Um, I, I trust my own internal judgment. It's hard to talk about these things hypothetically, like what's the line? You know, everyone wants an equation and definite answers, but uh, if I do say to myself, this is more of an art than a science. So we trust our own internal judgment going into situations when we're like, oh, this, yeah, this is fair game, go hard. Um, you know, and, or sometimes when it's like, you know what, let's, you know, pull it back a bit. Um, so uh, if you want hard defined lines, um, no, I don't, I, I'm don't just say sort of the N word. I mean, that's one line I have. Gotta be, there, there have to be times where the gut check goes wrong or where the gut check is sort of comes after the fact. I think even sometimes if we're not sure, if, if it feels like it's right on the line and like this could upset someone or this, we might be punching in the wrong direction, we'll pull each other in. I'll be like, no, not Costa. I'll be like, Roy, come look at this. <laughs> Always Roy, Roy, I trust your gut. <laughs> come look at this and tell me if you think there's something that feels right or if we should change it. And we do. I mean, I mean, yeah. the show, yeah, we, the show is a, a, a huge institution. There's a lot of people who've been there a long time. I, I think they've gotten, rarely gotten something wrong, wrong. So, you know, we, we have our own internal barometer that we trust because of, we have a history of doing it as well. And also, we are good people. But, but also, yeah. uh, yes, I, I think the best, an best answer Randy gave was he trusts his own internal code with that. But we also aren't going to change something just because one person on the internet is mad about it. Yeah. So uh, I know I take a lot of value in the experience of everyone above me who's made way more field pieces than me, editors who edited the pilot 22 years ago for The Daily Show. I mean, there's so many intelligent people in these rooms that can help guide you that... But yeah, so I'll give you a good example of something where you go into it with good intentions and sometimes there's just things that you can't change. We did a segment um, during the March for Our Lives rally about a year ago where I went to Montana to a pro-gun rally. Everybody else was anti-gun, it was nationwide, everybody was marching against guns and in Montana there was a pro-gun rally happening. So I went to Montana to cover the rally and we got the opinions and perspectives of people that are pro-gun and we made the jokes and the piece went fine. The feedback I got from people from Montana was how dare you come here 
and talk about those people when there were perfectly good people across town talking about the right thing. But we had an entire 12 minutes on the show before my segment aired that was dedicated to people that have those beliefs. So the whole point of my piece was to explore the other side. And that's something where there's nothing you could have done that would have made that group of people happy. Well, it's also just a challenge of the fact that you're consumed on multiple platforms. That if you're watching it as a television show, then you saw that counterbalance. But if you're only watching the digital yes. clip, mm-hmm. then you're watching it. Which, I mean, what can you, what is the line that you've been walking around the office saying about we're the most socially... Oh, I just want to remind everyone, uh-huh. we're the most socially engaged late night series Correct. of all time. Of all yes. time? Uh, of yes. all time. What is the problem? about of all time. <laughs> What's currently on right now? We are the but most the engaged. Emmy so, award winning. So I... I mean, I'm an old millennial, so the the Daily Show that I grew up with was a television show, right? Like, it probably had a Twitter handle, but that wasn't considered truly a part of the show. It was like there was like a Twitter person in a corner somewhere doing a separate thing, where now you have all these platforms fully integrated, and it's not show first. And I wonder how that changes the work and changes what you do when the show is just a piece of a much larger puzzle. There's a, there's a lot of pieces where I will have to fight for a joke because I'm like, I know this won't play in the live audience, but this is going to crush on YouTube. And I need those YouTube comments to be good. So like, I think it's just knowing and having a really good understanding of how each thing is going to be consumed and trying to like, uh, plan ahead for stuff like the Montana piece where it's like, right, okay, this will play like this, but then online when it's divorced from this context, how is this going to look there, which is how most people from this date on are going to be watching it. Like 90% of the people who see it will probably see it like divorced from the entire show that it was in. So I think you kind of just have to develop like a new consciousness or like a new side of your brain. That we all- I, would, I would say maybe to counter that, a funny joke is a funny joke. Uh, we all, a lot of us tour, do stand up all over the world. I mean, funny pe- people laugh at everything. So, if, in my opinion, if it's good on TV, it's probably good on YouTube. It's probably good face to face, and that's what we try to do. At least that's what I try to do. I can't speak on behalf of the others, these other five people. Okay, I mean, Shane. Oh. All right. Oh, gracious. Of I just think you know we are all different people, and sometimes a piece will be directed toward a different demographic or a different group of people. And I mean, I. I just try to think of that when like I do stuff, you know? I mean, to answer your question, how, how do we extend the show? Part of it is we live this life, so it's not that hard to think in terms of Twitter and YouTube and, and Instagram, because we're from that. And also, we have a lot of talented people working at the show, digital producers and so forth, trying to figure it out for us. So they'll see something, we'll pitch a good idea, like Michael Costa said, it's a, jo- a good joke is a good joke. Then uh, these people work day and night to try to figure out how to translate it to every other medium. That's why you have like, you know, the, the show gets extended to what Instagram stories, to uh, Instagram posts, there's the Twitter library that tours around. Like, TikTok. It, yeah, TikTok. TikTok. I don't even know anymore. Snapchat, Snapchat's still a thing. If it is, we're on that, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I watch the show on Instagram. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, that's how I catch yeah. it most of the time is it'll have, because it's the easiest just like, because I'll be traveling and doing shows and if I'm in some hotel room somewhere, I can't catch Comedy Central the show like on 11 o'clock because I'm, I might be at my own stand-up show. So I can be on the road and just 
go on the Instagram and that's how I watch the show. So I'll let you get, but but also so so we we do the show that we know how to do and then they it, it gets cut up for these different platforms and then sometimes we'll do something and extend it knowing that we'll extend it into beyond the show. So we'll do a field piece sometimes and we'll think like, hey, this field piece will have a website in it and let's get the team to make a website that will extend this field piece into interactive spaces and all that. So like I did a sexual racism piece with Jessica Williams back in the day. And we, at the end of it, we had this thing that was like, hey, call in and tell us your, or write in your, your experiences. And then we, Feel, we read out the people's experiences for YouTube and that, that extended the show beyond what it was and we went in knowing that we were going to do that. That's why we were able to put the link in the field piece. So stuff like that, you know, it's a, that, that's when it's more considered and then sometimes when we just throw that, like the Yang thing is just Instagram live and me and him are Asian. That's what it was. <laughs> that's, what that, no. that's what that was. There's also an opportunity. There are ideas that, that people come up with at the show all the time that are like a killer joke, but it might not be an entire take for a four-minute field piece or a second act. So we can send it out immediately and interact with the audience, our audience in, in a way that we wouldn't be able to on the show. As we head into 2020 general election, what are you all most excited about? What are the stories you want to tell? The road, I enjoy the road. I enjoy. <laughs> I'm Why here for this. Like that? Why do you say it like that? Why do you say it like that? You say it like you're gonna. Because <laughs> sometimes it's interesting. It's very interesting. That was like the beginning of a Gatorade commercial. <laughs> <laughs> or like a Lincoln commercial. Yeah. yeah. You selling Harleys? I'm interested in the challenge of finding humor in places where people aren't necessarily embracing the media anymore. There's a lot more of that out there than in 2016. And 2016 was a little weird. And now for 2020, Wait, what do you people, mean? <laughs> I mean, just the actual physical being out and doing man on the street and interviewing people on both sides. Um, I think in that regard, it's something more exciting and finding comedy in places where the country is more upset. So there's more of a challenge in that. We're not, we're way more pissed off than we were in 2016 in terms of where The Daily Show is concerned, where we're going out with cameras and to go talk to people about the election. We're gonna go to Iowa, we're gonna go to New Hampshire, we're gonna go do all the Super Tuesday stuff and we're not gonna be getting the same energy that we got in 2016, which means we have to change our recipe. So I'm excited to see what adjustments we have to make. What, what I'm most excited about, <clears throat> and I think this is what The Daily Show is founded on and what it continues to thrive on, is how the media will cover it. Last d Democratic debate, I love that moment where they asked uh, Bernie Sanders something, they immediately split screen with Elizabeth Warren. They, they were trying to get the fight going. Like the media was like, okay, split screen, let's get the fight going, and they didn't take the bait. Now they took the bait later uh, during the commercial break, and of course CNN releases the audio. <laughs> Our job is to satirize the media that builds this shit. I mean, this is the American entertainment industry is at its finest in, a, in an election year. I mean, it's gonna yeah. be going off the rails. And our job is to, to be able to money. call bullshit on all of this sorry. stuff. That's call what bullshit. we do. That's why it's called Votegasm 2020. It's a orgasm for us. <laughs> we climax at this opportunity. That's all I have to say. Good night. Get me out of here. Why am I not leaving? Okay, that's it. I, I'm excited to see America confirm its identity. 
So we had round one. And Don't say that, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. Yeah, round one, and obviously this happened. And if that's what America is, let's confirm it. This is the mulligan. This is the. Do symbols matter? Do do people in charge matter? This is this is when it. This is when we confirm that. So, I'm, I'm excited scared. to see the results of that. Y'all got real scared, and honestly, I agree with him. <laughs> I'm sitting up waiting, going. Okay, see what time it is, America. I think I'm. Because <laughs> I'm in this, I'm, that's how I'm thinking with Ronnie. I'm just like, they finna pop off and do this again. Okay, I'm not moving. Canada's cold. I'm not going nowhere. I, I think I'm really interested to see how the election plays out now that we're all aware that we live in bubbles and we're not acting like how our coworkers and the two people who live next door to us are representative of the entire country. Yes. Um, I, I think that that's going to really change how we, not only how the politicians enter the race, but also how we consume their message. It's more so like people are listening out not only for their own beliefs now, but with the Democrats, it's so much about electability. So everyone is trying to imagine what all these other people who they would never talk to are voting like, thinking like, living like, and it's just really weird to see people try to extend their logic and their judgment into what other people are experiencing. I think it's like an interesting exercise in empathy. We will be at both conventions. We'll be in Milwaukee for the Democratic convention and we'll be in Charlotte for the Republican convention and we'll be doing man on the street. You better believe it. Or as Roy likes to say, the road. <laughs> I'm excited to be at the RNC and just have people go, so what are you doing here? Because <laughs> why would I be there? Because they're going to look at me and they're like, well, you can't, you can't support. Because sometimes when people see Daily Show and they're not a Democrat, they automatically go, you're trying to make fun of me. And it's like, no, I want to, because a lot of the times, like when we pitch stuff to Trevor, Trevor goes, okay, I like this idea. Now think of the other side to it to make sure we're not punching down, to make sure that we're giving, because a lot of times you can get more comedy out of seeing the other side of something, because then you can maybe more anticipate what the person might say in the interview, and then you can come up with better questions, because it's just not like, well, you're wrong. It's like, like what Desi was saying. It's like, so I kind of agree with you, so listen. And then it's, it, it's a bait, <laughs> it's not a bait and switch. It's I can make a better question because I get your mindset. And I think that's gonna be interesting to be down there and see those people and they're just gonna go, uh, black lady, what she want? Think she's trying to trap me. I'm like, no, so you're not even cute. I don't wanna, <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for work. The convention, I, I'm very excited to go to the conventions. It's, I, a few of us got to go the last go round. It was intense. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and I get to hide from my four-year-old for five days. So I'm mostly looking forward to Best that. Best sleep you'll have in a long time. I can't wait. Somebody did not I don't, like that answer. I don't know if you all are having this same response that I'm having, but I know that you're all very smart. I'm, I'm sort of touched by uh. how... That be you, Michael. How soulful and invested you are, are on this, because the way that we consume all of you is in this very sort of jovial, jokey way, which I think we all need, because we need the catharsis of, of sort of processing this moment. But it, I'm struck by, by how seriously you all take this. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> it's still a job. I got to be serious. I got bills to pay. Like, I can't. 
No, we we care. Yeah, I think we care. I think you have you have to care to do this job. Otherwise, it it it's it's not it's not the hardest job in the world, but it's it's hard, man. Every day you gotta come in and look at this stuff and think of jokes about it. If you don't care about it, you can't last in this. And then you also realize that what you do matters to the people who consume it. The thing that I found myself adjusting to when I started at the Daily Show, um, I would occasionally be recognized from. Um, BET's Comic View. Thank you very much. Um, RIP Comic View. But as a stand-up, as a stand-up who's done some TV, hey, you're funny. Yeah, you're funny. I see you, you're funny. But when I started The Daily Show, every now and then you get someone who comes up to you and tells you thank you, which is a totally different type of compliment. I, I was doing a college show, uh, and someone came up to me and was like, hey, I'm from Kenya, and watching The Daily Show was my first time, like, seeing a gay person and feeling like they were, like, a cool guy. <laughs> like, that's sort of how he phrased it. But, like, just stupid stuff that I do sometimes, like the Panda Express jokes and stuff like that, you don't realize how to some people that actually is, like, groundbreaking. For record, I also asked him if he would take his shoes off in the White House. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't just Panda Express jokes. It is time for uh, the audience's question. This one comes from Jackson, who says, tell us about your audition process and first getting on the show. Anybody have a great audition story or first time on the show story? Ooh, Costa? Um, was yours eventful? I, uh, well, it's the only audition that, that anybody ever said yes to me, so... I would say the real, interesting the, the real interesting story is the first 386 auditions where the network, in their own mistake, passed. But um, I'm a stand-up comic. I think part of our job as a stand-up comic is to come up with a point of view on the world and share that point of view in a humorous way. Fortunately, that is also the description of The Daily Show. So... Uh, when an audition came through, I was fortunate enough to have opinions on things that I thought were current and put it on tape and send it in. And for some reason, it worked and I've tricked them and I'm here. It is the great, this is not, I have executives here who are at the show, but they could leave for this. It is the best place to work in comedy. It is a pleasant, intelligent place. There's at least 10 dogs in the office every day. You can be talking about serious topics, voter suppression in Georgia, people can be getting hot, and then you'll look over and there'll be like three dogs smelling each other's assholes in the corner. <laughs> it is a nice, amazing comedy job. I cannot believe Comedy Central was dumb enough to accept my audition and hire me for this job. You're about to get fired. Yeah. <laughs> the basic audition process, and if anybody did anything different, jump in. Uh, you sent in essentially a three-minute segment of what would be you at the desk uh, talking with Trevor, and then the producers give you something that they wrote. So you perform something that you wrote to prove that you have the ability to construct a segment that's in the vein of what Trevor wants. And then you have to prove an ability to perform something else that's written for you because that's also a big part of the job where you could be chilling and at noon, news breaks about XYZ. Hey, Ronnie, you're on the show tonight. Sorry, I thought you weren't going to be on the show, but we've already written a segment, head down to makeup rehearsals in 45 minutes. Was it Andrew Yang? Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're testing your ability to be on the fly and be able to perform something else that was prepared for you. And so you do both of those pieces with Trevor and... Usually with the, I found out 
on the way to the airport. Like I found out, yeah, like they that call, day, yeah, it was yay or nay. It's fast. Yeah, it was a little bit different for me. My mom is a head of communications at Viacom, and she heard that there was an opening, <laughs> and she just. <laughs> um, Nepotism. <laughs> Proof she's I, not. I, I'm actually Trevor's son. That's how I got the show. I, knew it. I like knew pulled it. up with the paternity test and I was like, give me a job, bitch. And then he just sort of let me in. He's actually 13. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, it was pretty much kind of the same thing. I had auditioned once before and I didn't get it. And then like a few months later, they asked me to audition again. And I was like, what has changed in my life <laughs> in the past like five months? And then I said, no. And then they were like, are you sure? And I was like, it's so much work. <laughs> and I think, and, oh. And then, and then Trevor was just like, I think you should do it. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> if, if Trevor Noah says that, I'll do it. And it was pretty much that same thing, yeah. And to Trevor's, to Trevor's credit, I think he understood what he was coming into with regards to the show having to compete with the other satirical late night landscape. So if the argument is A and B, I feel like the best arguments that we construct in the building present the C side to the argument that someone wouldn't have considered. And I feel like for most of our, like what was your audition? Uh, your original piece, do you remember? The, the original piece that I wrote was about, um, uh, it was at, mm, it was at funeral and the pastor like put his hand around Ariana Grande in a weird way. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the black pastor, he, yes, yeah, he touched yes, Ariana yes, Grande. Yes. It was about that and it was about um, something else that happened in the Catholic Church and I was talking about how the Catholic Church doesn't even have bops to like be doing all the shit that they're doing. Um, like the songs are not that good. Um, and, and I had two written pieces that I had to do. Oh, really? So my first one. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do the first yeah. one on self-tape and then you do the second one in the studio. Yeah, so there's the one you do on the self-tape. So like the first one was just like basically just trying to help white people to stop fucking up. Um, in general areas when and we thank you for that color. i'm just here to be an ally what was it um <laughs> the general stop asking us wild shit just you know the basics i didn't even talk about touching my hair because y'all know um and then the second audition that i did that's the one i remember the most because it was talking about how hard it is to be black and patriotic especially because my birthday is july 4th wow. um and then on top of that, I get my nails done really intensely. So I had like these July 4th, like airbrushed firework nails when I come in to do this piece. And I did it and then I did the piece that they gave me and then you do the green screen and you read off a teleprompter. So all of this is your audition. And then they called me two hours later and I was on the way to the airport. So there's a lot that happens. I'm, why is everybody going to the airport? Okay, I was not at the airport. Because I was you, at the I didn't dig live in, in LA. on 55th. Yeah. That's where I was. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't live in, in New York. The so studio is at Terminal back. C in LaGuardia. It's yeah. the shittiest <laughs> studio. It's much right. easier to get guests in when you're in the airport. We're next to pre-check. It's pretty yeah. easy. <laughs> next question from Billy. What was it like on election night 2016? I did not work there. Oh my God. I remember Ooh. we were about to go out on this quick field piece oh. to the Javits Center where Hillary was going to accept. <laughs> and we were doing a breaking the glass ceiling piece because the, ja the Javits is all, it's all glass. And we were about to leave. And the head of the field department was like, we're calling it off. And we're, <laughs> fuck! It was like, 
Oh, we, it was very somber. It was a very, very... Yeah, if you can remember that night, it was actually, I think, 537. Was that the name of that website? What's that website? Nate Silver's website? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 538, sorry. They went off by one. <laughs> Jesus. Um, one number off. Just... Who's one number off? Just like Nate Numbers Silver. aren't his strength. <laughs> yeah. Break, breaking stereotypes yeah. every day. Uh, it was, what? What was it? 83% chance of... Clinton victory. I say Clinton because I'm not American. So, we, um, uh, like, so, so meaning it was a very big surprise on the night. Now it's like whatever, right? But at, on the night it was like it, all, all but guaranteed. All but guaranteed. Yeah, there were some people. That. There were some people crying in the building. There were some people sipping a little whiskey that they had saved for doomsday. Um, but the thing I remember the most is how quickly everything was changing because we were live, live. And so yeah, we live. on a live show, we're on a live results show, you have jokes, but you only have two thirds of the joke. It's almost like a quarterback coming to the line and calling an audible. If Hillary wins, we do this. What? If Trump wins. I don't wins, get this reference. If, oh, yeah. Here's the jokes about polling. If Hillary wins, then here's the way it's going to go. We won't. And yeah. We, we like a choose your own shows. adventure joke. No, we wrote, we okay. wrote three scenarios. Yeah. We wrote three scenarios. We wrote uh, Hillary victory, which was the prob we thought was going to go to air. We had the if the votes weren't decided yet, which was my act. My act. My, my, the one they wrote that I was going to do was the one about if it, we, there was no clear winner yet. Mm -hmm. And then the third one was an unlikely Trump victory. So we actually prepared all three because it's a, a place that handles its business. Yeah. yeah, and because uh, we're good at what we do, and then um, <laughs> at the time it was uh, we there was no answer yet, and so I remember I went on to do it. I remember when when I did my desk segment, it was the um, oh we don't know who's winning yet, which is already scary because we knew who was winning before the show started. So the fact that we didn't know halfway through was like oh oh shit something is getting close. So anyway, I remember that. Yeah, it was very somber. Yeah. We're going to be live. We're live all the time. Yeah. We're the most live show. We are so alive. We're socially engaged. We're socially engaged. Most but we're live at the next live. caucus. No, or so live, super live. So every, live. The most live show. State of the Union. Live. State of the live. Union. That's live. State of the Union, the next four or five Tuesday elections. Yeah. We're live. Yeah. And live. Then we go to the convention. All the debates. No other show is as live. Yeah, debates as well. Carly wants to know, do you watch or listen to other satirical or comedic news shows? And if so, how does that affect your material? Do you also listen to or watch or read, quote, regular news? And if you do... How many questions is this? Like That's the six. third question so far. Ma'am, you cheated. Do you try to read from both sides of the political spectrum? Why or why not? We have to look at regular news to get stories for the show. So there's that one answered. Um... <laughs> Because how could we do a satirical news show if we weren't looking at the non-satirical news? <laughs> but maybe I'm an idiot. I think part of the uh, question, though, is like, do, does it help you to get an angle on something to read uh, things that clearly already have a perspective? Uh, only insofar as to make sure we ha we are, we're not doing an exact joke that has been exactly done before. And that's probably the most useful aspect. Yeah, I think, we, I think we occasionally check in with the other late night shows and the other satirical shows just to kind of see what they're doing. Um, we, it's 
tough to keep up with all of them, but especially if we have a piece moving and we want to make sure that someone else isn't covering it, or if we're covering it, we're doing it in a different way. I like to know what's going on out there. We got a show every day, so you can't spend too much time DVRing five hours of other entertainment. You got to write your show, and I would suspect they're the same, although they aren't as good as we. There's... um, you start figuring out kind of stylistically where other shows are going, and you're, you're not going to land on the same joke, even though it's going to, like, tonight, everybody's going to be talking about impeachment. We already know that. So it's what is our angle, what's our take that we know is unique, and you've watched enough of the other shows where you can get a feel where you know, all right, Seth is probably going to be in this ballpark. That's funny, but that feels like something Sam B might touch. What is Oliver going to do on it? We don't know. So in that regard, I think it's, it's fine. For field, I try to read local newspapers when I'm on the road and watch local news. That, to me, gives me more of a other side because, to me, the, the national media, every, everything, a lot, of, a lot of what's being consumed in the building is national news. So national news doesn't always talk to local people. They don't always talk to the people that are being truly affected by the issues. So... I like doing that. I also like going on YouTube, Reddit. Our Instagram can get a little spicy sometimes. So I like reading all of the comments. I just like knowing what people are pissed off about because sometimes that can help you point which way to shoot the gun on a particular issue. At least it helps me with field, with field pieces. Yeah, how was that explained? It was explained to me earlier. I was asking, is there like a kind of thing which all the Daily Show people in the building read through? What are the common sources? And Allison, the former um, coordinator of the field department, told me not to, that it's better when you just read what you already enjoy reading and you bring that to the table. Everyone just reads what they like reading. You're going to be most passionate about that. You're going to find something that you like to talk about. So um, my, my point is like we just read what we are interested in and then we usually pitch stuff based on that. So. Yeah, what was the I skimmed through the paper. Oh, what's that? Bernie Sanders fell in the shower. Boom, falling. Here's the last question. We're going to start with you, Desi, and we're going to go down the line. That piece this- would win an Emmy. <laughs> this question's from Sarah. Who is your dream interview subject, political or not? Elizabeth Warren. We've been trying to get her on the show for quite some time. Yeah, we get her. Go get her. Why, why, why do you want Elizabeth Warren? I just, she's got a plan for everything. Okay. So I have a lot of, I, I need some personal advice. <laughs> How to Ooh, manage you, my marriage, my child. You could white lady oh, her balance. like Ronnie did with Andrew Yang. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you could do a Lululemon joke. Lululemon. <laughs> you could talk about Martha Stewart and Pinterest. I don't know what y'all do, but... Oh, that'd be so fun. Y'all could go like, get like, I don't know, salads together. <laughs> That's what they eat, right? Thank you. I love it. I love it. Oh, am I supposed to answer? Uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> Interview that you want to do, political or not? Oh, uh, I've, yeah. You want to go, you go first. Yeah, I came in. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. That's okay. I think. Samuel L. Jackson represents for black America someone that's been at the bottom and someone that's now at the top. So he has a perspective of both sides of the poverty line. And I think he's someone that also, politically speaking, 
mirrors a lot of actual Americans where you can be invested only to a certain point with certain people on certain issues and you can't focus on all of them. So what are the couple things that you would be focused on? I, I don't know, I've just always found this journey very intriguing. Ask him about those Capital One ads too. <laughs> <laughs> how, did he, how did he get those? What were you thinking, bro? <laughs> a check. Oh, this is my turn. Um, I would want to interview Lizzo, so people know we're not the same person. <laughs> I'm dead ass serious. I would definitely want to interview AOC, and I've tried so many times. You truly um, But she's very busy, like, making laws and whatever the fuck. I just want to go axe throwing, get a drink or something. Just hang out for a little bit. Dismantle capitalism or something. I don't know. Dismantle capitalism. Jabuki took my answer. Um, <laughs> living or dead? Is it alive? Because I, I would love to talk to a founding father and ask him <laughs> if they could be a lot more clear with their... <laughs> they wrote it so ambiguous. Come on. Can we quarter or can we not quarter? That's yes. all I want to know. <laughs> I read the Constitution. I know what I'm doing. Thank you all so much. Let's all hear it for this awesome Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for watching the show. Thank you. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 